0: Good morning. Welcome home. You know, in the wisdom and in the plan of God, He has chosen to make the church your family in Christ. And in a very real way, your forever family. And as a family, a place to be accepted, a place to be embraced, a place to be loved and encouraged, a place to come when you're in need, a place to just be family. So welcome to Grace Church this morning, and welcome home. And my prayer is that you would sense the reality of that even as we meet together this morning. You know, the band is Good when you see the electric guitar player over here playing with sweatbands on, you know, because he's working it up and getting all lathered up. And you know that the, uh, the leader leaves her Bible up here so that uh, she can admonish you. And so... Um we're just family, you know, and, and we have our good points and our bad points, our strengths and our weaknesses, and we're just trying to journey together to honor Jesus Christ. Well, how many were at this thing called Bacon Fest yesterday? How many? How many? Awesome. Wow, that's, that's a majority. That's great. You know what? We need to take just a moment and thank the people that made Bacon Fest successful, and that was you. So give yourselves a hand this morning. Yes, yes. Thank you for all the hard work, you blue-shirters. Thank you for the great food. We had more than we could eat. You know, in, in a couple of weeks on, I believe it's October the 8th, that's Sunday, we're going to be providing, a, a, local, a local place is coming, and they're going to provide flu shots for people who want them after you the service. If you need that, we're providing that. So we care about your health. And I'm just thinking, as much as we eat and as much bacon as we consume, maybe it would be a good idea to give everybody a cholesterol check, you know, just to make sure we did not get any heart attacks walking around here, just because we eat too much grease and all that good stuff. But I like bacon. I like bacon. And I'm, I'm just really glad we had that day yesterday. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Lord willing, this will be the first annual, and next year will be the second annual. So if you missed it, uh, you haven't missed it, because Lord willing, it'll come back again This morning, uh, we're going to kind of uh, focus in, in kind of an introductory way, uh, on a series that I hope that we can walk through over the next four weeks together, and it's along this idea of real community, real community. Uh, Just what is community? Uh, Why do we have this sense of it? Where do we discover it? Uh, those are the questions I want to kind of work on this morning with you. And in order to do that, I'm going to invite you to take your Bible. Uh, if you have your own copy of the scriptures, praise the Lord, uh, open up with me to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures that you brought with you, reach under the chair in front of you. That black book in front of you is a Bible. And just so awesome, I want you to turn to page 911. 911. Yes, yes. In, in the Bible, 911 is where the church originates. So if you've got an issue, a challenge, a hang up, a problem, call the church. That's what it's basically saying. Uh, so we're going to look at this together in a few minutes. We're going to just read through it in a cursory way. I want to show you where we're going to be going together. So right now, take your Bible, open to 911, if you have the black ones, and, and put it on your lap. Because in the next few moments, I want to start to consider where is this thing called community and the desire for it even come from. Uh, let me ask you for a basic definition of what community is. Can you tell me what a community is, is or like? Can somebody tell me what community is supposed to be like? Fellowship. Fellowship. Accepting. Accepting. Beautiful. Yeah. Like family. Yeah. That, well, there you go. Well said. Food. Food. Okay, yes. Well, families eat together, right? Yes, yeah, some of the best times with families are when you eat together. Anybody else? Bacon. <laughs> Okay, let's move from food to something else. How about our emotional needs like being loved, being accepted, embraced, cared about? Yeah, that's community. And you know what? I don't care who you are here this morning. I don't care if you're a guy or if you're a gal. I don't care what your ethnicity is. I don't care what your socioeconomic status is. I don't care what your background is. I don't even care what your personality is. I'm an introvert by nature. Even introverts crave community. Even, even people like me who, who like to be alone. I only like to be alone for a while. And then I get worried that I'm left alone and I need somebody to love me. You know, so that, that's, but we all have that inner desire to, to be loved and accepted, to be embraced, and, and to have identity. Where does that even come from? You know, if you're an anthropologist or or if you know some anthropologists, they will tell you simply this, that through the evolutionary process of this thing that we call man, at some point it became more advantageous for humans to group together against the elements and all the things around them than it was to be isolated and alone. So that just is part of that, that evolutionary process that we developed along the way. Well, that all sounds very educated. Uh, but that's not true. That's not how we got this inner longing and this deeper desire for intimacy, for, for community. Um, it, that came, friends, from God. That deep longing in your heart to be embraced and to be loved, to be accepted, and to be um, uh, encouraged. Courtney, we all need encouragement. No, I just like to be abused. Just abuse me. I like abuse. No, I'm just kidding. No, I love encouragement. We all want to be encouraged. That comes from God. Beautiful verse of scripture. Genesis chapter 1. Only 26 verses into the Bible. Only 26 verses into the Bible. We have a remarkable statement that says this. God said, notice singular, God said, let what? Make man in after. Do you see what it's saying? 26 verses into the Bible, and already we are seeing the community of God exposed. You'll not find another statement like this anywhere virtually in the rest of the Old Testament until you actually get to the New Testament. We're supposed to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, this intimation to the Trinity is right there at the creation of man. And so, what we have is the divine community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who have lived in this beautiful intimacy of community for all eternity, saying, we're going to now make people. And so when God created us in his image, he created us with a longing for community. Community with him to step into the beauty of the Godhead and to be a part of that. We we yearn for that. People are innately spiritual. Have you ever noticed that? Everybody's spiritual. Everybody knows there's going to be something more than me And and, and on this earth, there's something bigger than me. Where does that come from? It's part of the image of the triune God that he put in our hearts. But it's not just the image of God for himself, but he also created us with a need for each other. This desire for community to be accepted and embraced, to be loved and to have identity goes this way too. And that's from God. He put that in every one of our hearts, and we yearn for it on the deepest of levels. You know, Jesus, when he summarized the entire Older Testament, he summarized it like this. When it comes to all the Mosaic Law and all that God had told his people of old, he said this, it all boils down to loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, community with God, and loving your neighbor as yourself, community with each other. Isn't that something? All the Bible boils down how to have a right relationship with God and others, because he made us this way, this longing, this desire. So God made Adam. And uh, shortly after he made Adam, um, he said, hey, Adam, I want you to name all the animals. And so he's naming all the animals. And so uh, Mr. and Mrs. Hippopotamus, Mr. And Mrs. Skunk, Mr. And Mrs. Eagle, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, whatever, Mr. and Mrs., Mr. and Mrs., Mr. and Mrs. And it says he named all the animals, but he did not find one compatible to himself. Notice what God said, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And then the Lord God said, it is what? Not good that a man should be, what's the word? That is the worst thing anyone can ever be, alone. Because God created us for community. He created us to have community with him. He created us to have community with one another. And the worst thing anyone can ever be is alone. That is not good. So God made for him a, a help me. Somebody who is compatible for him, I will make a helper fit for him. So he made Eve. And so what we have at the very, very beginning of the scriptures, the very beginning of the scriptures, is God is introducing us to the most basic unit of community, and that is family. Family, God bless you. That's what I would say if you're sitting at my dinner table. And then I would say, would you please not sneeze over the food? Just the other way. There you go. So, yeah, so the whole idea is that the basic unit of community on this plane is family. It is a family in community with God where identity, mutuality, love, joy, and security are meant to come from. And we all have this inner longing for family. Somebody said this, a family is where you're supposed to be loved unconditionally, And find support through the transitions of life. And not only receive encouragement, but a model of how life is to be lived. Family is where you're supposed to learn morals and values and concepts of right and wrong. Does that describe your family? It doesn't describe my family growing up. My family growing up was not like that. I was blessed to have a mom and a dad who hung, at, who hung together through all those years, but they had no clue what they were doing. They didn't have a relationship with God, and I have three sisters who ran to the four winds. How do you do that? Three sisters, four winds. I don't know. But uh, they, they just did their own thing. And, 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 and so, so I didn't grow up in a home like that. I didn't grow up in a family like that. Maybe you didn't either. All I can say is, after Genesis chapter 1 comes Genesis chapter 2, and after Genesis chapter 2 comes Genesis chapter... Oh, you're brilliant. Yes, Genesis chapter 3. So what we discover in Genesis chapter 3 is selfishness now enters into this idea of community or family. Selfishness. Eve is there and Satan comes along in the form of the serpent and tempts her to doubt God's goodness. And says, surely God has not said that you shall not eat. For the day you eat thereof you will be like God knowing good and evil. So she took and ate selfishly. Gave it to her husband. He ate selfishly. and then what you discover again in the scripture is this horrible thing of isolation all of a sudden God has been offended through their sin and selfishness and he now rejects them by sending them out of his presence and out of the garden and again it is not good to be alone every time you find sin you find separation in the scripture isn't that interesting how that works every time there's selfishness It always leads to separation in relationships. And so Adam and Eve now are isolated from God. They're out of the garden because they've offended God through their own selfish actions. And then in chapter 4, not only does it affect their relationship with God, but it affects their family. So notice, Genesis chapter 4 says this. Cain and Abel, the brothers, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel. And what did he do? See, you think you have a dysfunctional family. At the very beginning of Scripture, you begin to see the the problem of dysfunction in this thing called family. And so there is not a healthy family anywhere in the Bible. There just isn't anymore. Because sin has entered the picture, it just kind of scrambles everything and makes everything um, much less than what God originally designed or desired and so dysfunction is now the norm in most homes. Do you feel better about yourself now? Dysfunction is, is normal. Yes, I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one. Everybody else is screwed up like me too. Woohoo! Yeah, that's the truth. It, it is just the truth. Now, there's different levels of dysfunction, but everybody comes from a dysfunctional family. But I want you to notice what God did to Abel, or I'm sorry, Cain. In light of what Cain did, notice what happened. In Genesis 4:12 through 13, it says this, Now Cain, the Lord was judging him, you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear because God is banishing him from family. He's isolating him away from his environment where he is to be loved, accepted, to know, and to grow, and to have his identity. And he said, no, I'm going to banish you. So we see in the very opening verses of Scripture where this longing in every one of our hearts comes from. It comes from none other than the triune God who made us in his image We also see how it was not good to be alone. That is the worst thing that can really happen to somebody is to be isolated alone. We see how God made Eve and Adam as as the first uh, family unit of community in his design. How quickly that was broken through their sinful acts and then how it affected their family. But God didn't give up on the family. God chose rather to work with dysfunction to make the best out of dysfunction he could. A little while ago, I was watching a, uh, a video series uh, done by a man by the name of R.C. Sproul. How many of you are familiar with Mr. Sproul? Great, great thinker, great man of God. He was talking about why the Apostle Paul would admonish the New Testament church to pray for the Roman government. As evil and as wicked as it was ultimately Caesar would behead the man who said pray for him but he made this statement and if it fits the scenario I think of family he said this the only thing worse than a bad government is no government because if there's no government there's anarchy think about Iraq we went into Iraq and we moved out a bad man called Saddam Saddam Hussein really evil man. He used an iron fist. He, he, he murdered people and kept a very desperate peoples together through, through an iron hand. But we went in and liberated, didn't we? We took out Saddam. What happened to the country? Anarchy. Anarchy. Uh, everybody's running for their lives. Nobody has anything that counts. Everybody's overrunning everybody, and ISIS took over. So his statement is a good statement. A bad government is better than no government. Can I just say a dysfunctional family is much better than no family at all. And so God doesn't give up on the family, but rather God chooses to work with the dysfunction of family as best uh, he can. So moving a little more forward in the scriptures. So we've been through Genesis 1, 2, 4, as we move forward a little bit, we begin to understand a little bit more about this thing God calls family. And it's something pretty enlightening. So I just want to encourage you to, to kind of tune in. As we move forward, what we would call today a, a typical family. A family in our minds is it's a, it's a dad, it's a mom, and you got some kids. We call that the nuclear family. So in, in our minds, that's a family. But such a family unit is never found like that in the Bible, per se. It never stands alone in the Bible. Um, In fact, there is no word in Hebrew, in Greek, or in Aramaic, the languages that undergird our Bibles, for such a family unit. You find terms like tribe and clan and household always in the plural, but never in the singular of a family as we tend to think about it. So the family unit always had extensions of additional families connected to it. It never stood independent or alone. Let me give you a for instance. So, over in Joshua, let's go back. Over in Joshua... Chapter 7, verses 16 through 18, we have a scenario playing out. A man by the name of Achan, who has uh, stolen a wedge of gold, is now impeding the progress of the children of Israel moving into the promised land. They've been defeated. And so God now puts it upon the leaders of of the nation of Israel to find the culprit. I want you to notice how they define Achan in this process. Here we go. It says, and so Joshua rose early in the morning and he brought Israel, this is the entire nation of peoples, near how? Tribe by tribe. So he brought by the 12 tribes of Israel and he brought them by. And somehow in this people group, the tribe of Judah, it was isolated as where the problem lay. And then he brought near them the clans of Judah. A clan, again, is a, a very large people group. And it was the clan of the Zerites that was taken or chosen. He then brought near the, clans, the clan of the Zerites man by man. This is family leaders. And the family leader, Zabdi, was isolated over this group. And then he brought near his household, which wasn't just him, but it was all the families connected to him, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, was taken. So in the Hebrew, you will not find the family unit as we tend to identify it here in America, as a man, a woman, and a couple of kids. That entity doesn't understand itself in isolation from the rest of the 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 tribes the clans the families that's important because if family is to ultimately make it survive as god intended it it requires extended family it requires further connections in order to make it now in the greek We have a little different word. Uh, So in in the Old Testament Hebrew, we discover that there is no singular word for a family unit as we look at it. In the Greek, there's a really cool word for for the idea of a family. Are you ready? I think you ate it this morning. It's the word oikos. So if you happen to buy Danon yogurt and you like Greek yogurt, it is Greek, by the way. This is the Greco-Roman word. For the, for the word family or house. Oikos. And over here you have the structure of a house. The word oikos actually has the idea of, of, a, of a dwelling. And the dwelling is, is not just a house, but it's more like a compound. And in this compound, there are multiple rooms that are isolated. And then there's a large courtyard within the oikos or the dwelling... There will be a dad, a mom, along with sons and their wives and kids, along with daughters, possibly their husbands and kids. They would all live in the oikos, along with tutors, along with um, uh, servants. They would all be this thing called an oikos. And the oikos is the smallest unit that the Greeks speak of. It's not an individual or his wife or his kids. It's their oikos. It's, It's this person with all the connectivity of family around them. So in the Bible, in the New Testament, when it refers to a, a family, it uses the idea of a household, not an independent unit per se. So when Paul writes at the end of his letter to Timothy, these words, 2 Timothy 4.19, hey Timothy, would you do me a favor? Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila and those living in the household of Onesiphorus. So when you see Onesiphorus next time, make sure you pronounce his name correctly. Say hi to him, his wife, his sons, his daughter-in-laws, his his daughters, their son-in-laws, all their kids. Say hi to the servants in their house because it is the household that is the oikos. There's not a name for what we would call family. Just a mom, a dad, and two kids or whatever in either Hebrew or in Greek because in God's mind, The family is never isolated from extended family. That's important. Because as we're about to see, the family cannot stand in isolation from either personal selfishness or the headwinds of a culture that's moving away from God. So, we can summarize what we've learned thus far from the scriptures. The scriptures tell us that community is innate. Everyone desires and requires community. God's basic communal design is the family. But not the family as we know it, but a community of interrelated and extended connections that create a greater family called a household or an oikos. Now, let's talk about America. America. Here we go. (laughs) The great American experiment... You know, uh, we love certain words uh, here in America. What would you use to summarize an American? One word. Give me one word. Free. Okay, free. Freedom. Good, good. A big word that we really like. Sorry. Melting, yeah, it's a melting pot. Very But a big word that we really like here in America is the word independence. Don't, don't we like the word independence? I mean, we use it all the time in every way. Have you ever noticed how often we use the word independence? Think about it. Uh, We have a document called the Declaration of? Oh. We happen to have this nice little hall in the middle of Philadelphia called Independence. Oh, yeah. We, We also happen to have this main thoroughfare in D.C. called Independence Avenue. Yeah. We like the word independence. That kind of summarizes who we are as a people. We are independent people. It is rugged individualism that built this country. So independence is largely what it it means to be an American. We, we, We revel in our independence. And, you know, parents, rightfully, what we're supposed to do with our kids is, as they're growing up and they are dependent on us, our goal as good parents is to grow them up to the point where they are independent, amen, from us. I know it's getting harder and harder these days, but they're independent from us. But did you know we're not done when we do that? Most of us think if my kid can live on their own and make their own way in the world, that we're done. But that's not true. Because the goal from dependence is independence, but that's not the end product. The end product of independence, where I am now capable of taking care of myself, is now something called interdependence, where it's not all about me, but I actually have the means and the resources to actually help others. And so Stephen Covey, in his wonderful book, um, um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, makes the statement that that is really one of the challenges of America is we have trained everybody to be independent, self-determined, but we've never shown them how to be interdependent. And that's where community comes from. That's where solid marriages come from. It's as we learn to build the fabric of interdependence with one another and not just be independent from one another. Remember, to be alone is bad. To be isolated is bad. And yet, largely, we encourage people to live separate, isolated lives in America. So, somebody put together this kind of interesting little montage um, using various television shows to kind of show us the development of the, human, uh, the, of the American family. So, let me see if I can get this done right. With the advent of industrialism around the 1900s, we saw a mass movement from small towns where people had many interrelated connections, family connections, to larger cities for the sake of jobs. You add to that the uprooting of lives for World War II, and, and what you have is, is lots of individual lives that have been kind of poked in. Uh, to the fabric of of America, the soil of America, and there's no longer that interrelationship or interconnectivity. So in the 1950s, we have the romanticized and sometimes deified view of the American family, and it shows up in TV shows like The Father Knows Best, and uh, Leave it to Beaver, and in this show, The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet Nelson. How many remember this show? It's been, a, it's been a syndication reruns forever. So here we have the traditional family unit, 1950s. Here we have a patriarchal dad who works hard, loves his wife. His wife is dedicated to her husband. They have a lifelong commitment to each other. And they are raising two children to be chaste young men in the culture. This is kind of the standard American view in the 1950s. But the problem with this picture is that it's not a bad scenario, but it stands in isolation from greater family connections. Now notice what happens as time goes by without that interconnectivity through, through greater relationships. Um, as time went on, we have shows like this in the 1960s. Yeah, we have these shows. We have um, Father Knows Best, or My Three Sons, My Three Sons, and we have the Andy Griffith Show. What do you see different about these shows than that one? That's right, there's no mom in the mix. All of a sudden, mom's either died, as it was in the Andy Griffith Show, or mom's no longer there, so dad is now independently raising their sons. This was TV in the 1960s, showing a bit of a transition from the usual model, which was the more traditional model. So the 1960s naturally lent themselves to the 1970s, where this became more the model of the family in America. That this group must somehow form a family. That's the way they all became the Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch. How many of you have seen The Brady Bunch? You know what? Most of you never watched it in its original run. It only ran five years, and it wasn't very popular. But in reruns, it got caught really big time. And so in a lot of ways, The Brady Bunch, the melding together of him and his three boys and her and her three girls, this, this coming together of differing families, the blended family, wasn't as big a deal when it first came out, but the culture became more and more like that. Someone has surmised this, sometimes pop culture is a reflection of where we are, other times it is shaping where we're going. In the case of television, we often don't know that our morals and values are being shaped until after it happens. So in a lot of ways, the blended family, by the way, this is the, the kind of family my wife grew up in. Uh, she had a half-sister, and they married into a family with uh, a father and uh, three girls and a, a son. So my wife grew up in a blended family. Well, the blended family kind of gave way the 1970s to what we discovered was happening in the 1980s. <laughs> Y'all have lived in your past here. I can hear you singing. it. Yeah. So what we have here is, who's the boss? Oh. You see, it used to be the patriarchal dad. But now we have an empowered woman who's an executive with her kids and her mom in the mix. And then there's this guy. He's just living there. He's a blue-collar dude who's like a fix-it guy who, like, babysits the kids. And what we have here is cohabitation starting in a very benign way. But what we see is people are now starting to live together who aren't even married to one another. And then we have this, Full House. How many have seen Full House? It's like a, a cult. Everybody loves Full House. But what we have is three guys raising three girls. Those guys are not interrelated, per se. Other than one's maybe a, a brother-in-law, but he's not blood. And so out of this full house comes a rather innocuous idea that it's okay for same gender to be parents and raise kids. So we see kind of this melding happening, this, this transformation of the culture happening until you kind of have it come into full blossom in the 1990s with the runaway smash hit that was everybody's favorite friend. I'll be there for you. I'll be there for you because you don't have family anymore. You're not connected anymore. And so I'll be there for you. So, three guys with three gals, the only true connection are these guys are related on, this, on the show, but they're kind of living in each other's lives, cheating on each other, dating each other, being there for each other. And it was intimating that this is a family because they're there for each other. It was actually blatantly, clearly said in Lego Batman. How many saw Lego Batman? Yeah, a whole lot more here than the first service because they're old. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just kidding. I'm (laughs) kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So I go to this movie with with a family here, and we're hanging out, having a great time. Watch the whole movie through it. But the movie ends with the credits, and this is the song. texting you. Uh, hey Robin, it's 7.30. Well, that's okay. I'm ready to fight crime. you the dark night. I'll be sleeping past two. Sometimes light, boom, pow, bang. Hey. But we always think of a- Hey man, I'm sorry. It's okay. okay. We're not related, but here's good news. Friends are the family you can choose. Come on, everyone. You high five down low to the side. Let's go. You're my best friend. And friends are family. Do you hear what it said? You can now choose your family. Because friends are now your family. Do you remember who Batman was? He was an orphan. Robin? An orphan. They didn't have family. So they had to do the best they could by choosing friends to be their family. That's how a lot of young people feel today feel like orphans. And so now they're choosing their friends to be their family. You know, um, friends aren't family. Think about that with me. The old saying is, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Remember that? That means you're stuck with your family, and they're stuck with you. Which meant, when there's no other place to go, you can always go home because they have to take you in. Blood requires that but not anymore. People don't have family that will take them in no matter what anymore. And so the experiment in America with with this kind of traditional model, because it was in isolation, because of the selfishness of the human heart without accountability and encouragement, because of the headwinds of the culture running away from God, today, from the 1950s to today, about three to four generations later, about 60 years later, today we have what is simply being referred to as designer families. We can choose what we want. We can make it the best of whatever we find. And, and that is now going to be my family. That's where we have kind of come. And so we have designer families or we have faux community. How many friends are on Facebook? How many people do you have on Facebook? Do you feel valued? We create these fake communities because we need somebody to hear us. And we'll put out stuff and somebody will like it and we will feel so valued by that like click. Have you noticed that? So, so we have these faux communities that we've created because family is gone. We've lost family. Designer families, faux communities, it's, it's where the world is today. Can I just kind of bring us to a conclusion here? This is all introductory for where we're going to be going over the next few weeks. I just want to say that the model that America has tried to use is desperately broken. And we see that as time goes by, less than half the children in America today have any idea what a traditional family is meant to look like, a mother, a dad, in a committed relationship with each other till death do them part. And the growing area where people now, if you take off the 30-ish percent and you move it down here, this is today's family. Now that is not to condemn The parent who's trying to make it on their own. Oh my gosh. They are to be loved and cherished and encouraged and valued. But the family's breaking down. And people don't know where to turn or what to do. So let me finish with these words. For many, God's design for the family, one man, one woman, in a lifetime committed relationship with a place for children to flourish in love and acceptance, with the support and encouragement of an extended family, has largely failed in America and it has become lost to our collective memory. This, dear ones, is where the role of the local church is meant to pick up. Please hear me. This is what it means to be the church. The church is meant to be a true extended family to embrace, to love, to accept you, false and all, with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, reconciling us to God and to one another as extended family members, blessing and helping one another to love God and each other in a very selfish and broken world. It is the local church that God designed to be the extended family to surround you to be able to make it in this day and age. You have Acts 2 in your lap. I will finish with these cursory statements. About them. So, as we look at the next few weeks together, we're going to begin by looking in Acts chapter 2 at the original church. In some ways, we've gotten so far away from what God intended. So, next week, we're actually going to look at verses 38 uh, I'm sorry, verses, yes, 38 through 41. As we look at the church being a redeemed community, notice it says this And Peter said to the people gathered that day, Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Oh, we're going to talk about that next week. It's beautiful. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, for the promise is for you, and it's for your children, and it's for all who are far off. Again, remember, being separated and isolated is a bad thing. God's bringing us back to himself. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. Rescue yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And they added that day about 3,000 souls to the local church. You know what happens when you come to Jesus Christ? God now becomes your good, good. That's it. So God becomes your father. Father. What does that make me to you if you're a fellow follower of Jesus? Yes. And you become what to me? You can say sister if you're a woman. You can say, uh, if you're really young, you can say a grandpa. I don't care. (laughs) But do you see what just happened? The blood of Christ makes us blood relatives. Brothers and sisters. We have a father. And he calls us together to be family to come alongside each other in this faith family and to be with each other and to walk with each other and to help each other. Go forward with extended connections so we can stand in the headwinds of this world and in the selfishness of our own hearts, we can overcome together. Next, so the following week, we're going to talk about this idea of being an exciting community. An exciting community. Oh my gosh, church is so boring. Well, let me explain to you what the early church was like. It says, and they devoted themselves, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching. I can't wait to tell you what that is. And to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs had been done through the apostles. Friends, if church is boring to you, then you have been going to church and not being the church. There's a big difference. And we're going to talk about how to live life together, helping each other deal with even the deepest, darkest hurts, habits, and hang-ups in our lives. And we're going to help each other find freedom and flourishing in this life. It don't get any better than that. That's exciting. That's what the family of God is supposed to be. It is a redemptive community. Through the blood of Christ, we now become blood relations, and God is our Father. We become an exciting community where we're actually really at work in each other's lives, loving and encouraging and helping each other. We are an authentic community where it goes on to say this, and all who believe were together, and they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all that had need, right down to the needs of everyday life. They were sharing. They were helping. If you have a need... Let me know. I will do what I can to help. If I have a need, I want to let you know so that you can help me. That's what it means to be family. That's what the local church is meant to be. A redeemed community, an exciting community, an authentic community, and a loving community. It finishes with these words about the first church. It says, and in that, and day by day, they attended the temple together, breaking bread in their, what's the word? Homes. It's Oikos. It's not literally a physical home necessarily. It's a community of people in in the oikos of people. And they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day, those who were being saved. This is too good to keep to ourselves. This beautiful thing called family, the family of God, must leak out. Others must know about it. The previous chapter, Jesus said this, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's a great thing, the family of God, but we can't keep it to ourselves. We've got to share it with others, and we do that by love. There's an African proverb that says this, it takes a village to raise a child. But God says this, it takes a church to raise a family. I'm not sure what your family is like today. This much I know, it's dysfunctional. All of them are. All of them are. And to be sure, we can't unscramble eggs. It doesn't work that way. But we can come alongside and help you. Add God's forgiveness, mercy, grace, and love to your situation so that we can experience the flourishing that God intends for his family to have. I want to invite you on a journey over the next four weeks as we walk through the scriptures together, understanding what true community is and what it means to be the family of God in each other's lives. We're also going to extend this to small groups. Uh, so if you'd be interested in, in not just showing up on Sunday and, and, and just uh, consuming uh, a moment or buying an event or however that works, but you actually want to start to connect and find the depths of where this community goes, uh, we will have small groups. If you're interested, when you walk out through those doors, there's some sheets of paper there. You simply put your name on there. I'm interested in walking over the next four weeks with, with some people to understand better what this looks like in my life and how I might be able to help others. So that'll be right out through those doors. Okay, I do know that we had coffee prior to the service, correct? Uh, in the first service, there was no coffee prior to the service, and people were just like, so we're all caffeinated up, okay? Are we good? Are we good? How many want to go on the journey with me to love one another as God intends so that we can be the family of God? Let me pray for us. Father God, you are generous and good, Thank you for this longing for you. Satisfy it with your son. Father, thank you for this longing for family. Satisfy it by bringing to us people to be near to us, to love deeply, but also through an extended family here at Grace Church. Help us to realize that no one is meant to stand alone, but everyone needs others. And that's why we're here, to stand together as we journey together in this life. Thank you for your good idea, your good plan, your good grace. I praise you and thank you now in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, amen. Amen. Greet somebody nearby and say, welcome, family, welcome.